Thank you for checking out this podcast from Mountain View Christian Center, a place to connect. You excited? I'm excited. I, I, I don't know. Since God birthed this idea for this series in my heart some time ago, I've been, I've been very excited, looking forward to, to starting this series, looking forward to working through uh, the book of Joshua. Joshua's got a lot of, lot of powerful stuff in it. If you haven't read the book of Joshua lately, I, I'd encourage you, make it part of your daily devotion. Go in for the next month or, or whatever, depending on how good you are at reading you know, and, and comprehending. Just go in and make yourself familiar with the book of Joshua, because for the next several weeks, we're going to be studying Joshua. And I've, and I've titled the message this morning in this series, Taking Possession of the Promise. It'll be a study throughout Joshua. But... This morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take kind of the long route to get to Joshua. So tomorrow, tomorrow, this morning, wow, this morning, I'm just going to kind of set the stage for some stuff. We're going to get to Joshua eventually, but we're starting out in Jeremiah. So we're kind of taking the scenic route to get to Joshua. Isn't that kind of a cool picture? Do you recognize my arms? Okay, it's not really mine but I thought it was cool. Thank you to Kiana for putting that together. I want you to think about this passage as we look at the overview of taking possession of the promise. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. I want you to understand one thing. If you go away from here today with only one thing, I want you to understand this, that God has plans for you and that his plans are good. Let's pray. Father, this morning I thank you that you are a good God. You're a God full of good plans for us, your people. Lord, I pray this morning that that as we walk through your word, as we break open the bread of life, that you would guide us and direct us. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. And I ask also that your Holy Spirit would go where I can't, to the very heart of each one of us. We ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, before we get into the text here, why don't you just hold up your Bible and repeat after me. Let's, let's do this thing as a as a reminder, this is the Word of God. It's able to make me wise. It's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. And this message is for me. Always a good reminder that this message is for me. It's for each and every one of us. It's not just for your neighbor, for your spouse, for your kids. It's, it's for you. Grab hold of it. So I said, over these next several weeks, we're going to be looking at Joshua and learning about taking possession of the promise, possession of the things that God has for us. I want to start with this thought. God's plans for you are just that. His. God's plans for you are his. They're his plans. They're not yours. 
It's not something that you came up with by studying, you know, popular science or whatever, or by sitting down and, and reading the Bible. It's God's plans for you, his plans to prosper you, his plans to give you hope and a future. Those are his plans. They're not your plans. In Joshua, we're going to see the, the Israelites move from the desert into the promised land after 40 years of wandering. Why? Why were they out there in the desert in the first place? You ever think about that? What were they doing in the desert in the first place? They were in the desert because God had a plan for them. And it was a good plan. They were out there in the desert because God had something in store for them. You know, it wasn't Moses' plan. It wasn't Moses' idea to be out in the desert. In fact, if you go back and you take a look, Moses didn't even want the job. Now, there are a number of times that, that Moses cried out to the Lord and said, I don't want this job. In fact, there's one time he got really frustrated towards the end and he says, hey, I didn't give birth to these people. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't ask for this. I don't want this job. It wasn't his dream. It wasn't his vision. It, it wasn't his passion. In fact, when the Lord approached him 40 years earlier, after spending 40 years in the desert, the Lord approached him and, and said, hey, I want you to go back to Egypt. And he was like, oh, thanks, but no thanks. I'm kind of content here. I got, got a good life going on. Got me a good Midianite wife. I'm hanging out, you know, working for my dad, my father-in-law. He's, he's taking care of me. You know, I'm just watching these sheep and goats. It's a pretty, pretty chill, kickback life. Got to know I got a plan for you. And Moses was like, but I like my plan. How many times do we do that? God says, hey, I got a plan for you. But I like my plan. I like being able to just chase sheep around in the desert on the backside of nowhere. I like just having my nine to five, 40 hour week job. I, I, I like what I, even if we don't necessarily like it, even if it's not a passion, you know, we, we grow content. We, we grow content with where we're at, and we think, eh, you know what, hang on a few more years, and then I can retire, hang on a few more years, whatever. This is good. It's okay. God said, Moses, I got something better for you, and you're going to have to follow me to get it. But it wasn't Moses' idea. It wasn't the Israelites' idea. You know, they, they didn't necessarily like being enslaved in Egypt, but they had grown used to being enslaved in Egypt. You know, they didn't necessarily like their, their Egyptian taskmasters and building the, the big pyramids and building all that other stuff. So they didn't necessarily like that, but they had grown used to that. You know, we do that in life sometimes. We, we don't necessarily like our job. We don't necessarily like certain things that we do, but we've, we've grown used to it. And we, and we get content. And you know what? I think contentment leads to contemptuousness. And that leads to a, to a life that, that really nobody would sign up for. God doesn't want you just to exist. He didn't create us just to exist. Jesus didn't come into this world, face all the, the hypocrisy, go to the cross, let himself be beaten and nailed to the cross and die 
and rise again just so you can have a so-so life. Just so you can exist. Jesus' own words went something like this. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And people hearing it might say, well, well, I have life. Obviously, I have life. I'm alive. I'm breathing. I'm, I'm transferring oxygen. That's No. No, that's existing. Jesus said, I came to give you life. Life. Abundantly. Something worth living for. Something that you wake up for and go, man, I got a purpose. I got a reason to live. And it wasn't your plan, it was his. It wasn't the Israelites' plan to leave Egypt, it was God's plan. Why? Because he wanted to bless them. He didn't want them just taken care of. He wanted to bless them. It wasn't even Jacob's idea for the blessing. It wasn't Isaac's idea. for. The, it wasn't even Abraham's idea for the blessing. It was God's idea from beginning to end. And he called Abraham out of the land of the Chaldeans and said, hey, I want to bless you. I've got a purpose in life for you. And I want to bless you. So that's the a, that's a first thing we need to understand is that it's God's plan, not yours. I think too often we get confused on this. Too many times we, we get confused and we start thinking that the idea of blessing is, is our own idea. And when we start to think that the idea of being blessed, and, and let me stop right here for a second. I'm not... I'm not, a, I'm not a prosperity preacher, okay? I'm not a name it and clam it or blab it and grab it. That's not at all what I'm about. Because you can't back that up in Scripture. But you can back up the fact that God wants to bless you. All right? And, and here's the problem. When we start thinking that being blessed is our own idea, number one, we think too small. We think too small. I mean, you, you, you might be a pretty intelligent person. You might, you might be able to score pretty high, you know, on all the, all the top IQ tests and all that good stuff. But, but in, Fe, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says this, God is able to do immeasurably more than you can ask or even imagine. And when I think about that, I think, that's crazy because I've got a pretty good imagination. I can imagine. I'm not saying all, my, all the things that I imagine are good. I'm not saying all the ideas that I have are good. You could ask Deb sometime. I mean, don't feel like you have to, but you could ask her. And she'd probably tell you, yeah, not all his ideas are good. But all of God's ideas are good. And sometimes his ideas sound a little bit crazy. They sound, I mean... Peter, come on out and walk on the water. Eh. Or how about this with Moses? Hey, what's in your hand? I just, I don't know. I love to read about these guys in the Bible when God starts asking them questions. But I want to be careful because I don't want him to start asking me those kinds of questions. You know, whenever God asks you a really obvious question, you might want to be careful. Hey, Moses, what's that in your hand? It, it, it's a staff. Oh, yeah? Throw it down. Throws it down. Ah! It's a snake. 
That was not Moses' idea. You can tell by his response. He gets scared and runs away, probably screaming like a little girl. Because, ah, I mean, if, if a staff that's big enough, you know, it's probably as tall as him, turns into a that's a pretty good-sized snake. And snakes are, well, they're icky. And then, God, so that's God's, that was not Moses' idea. I don't think the idea ever crossed his mind. You know, one of these days, I'm going to invent a stick that I can throw down and it becomes a snake. Mm-mm. No. No, in fact, Moses would probably attack anybody that had that idea. But God said, throw it down, it became a snake. And then it gets even crazier. He says, hey, I want you to go grab that thing. Uh-huh. No, there's plenty of other sticks out there, Lord. I can just get it out of my tent. I'll go get another walking No, pick that one up. And so he... After who, we don't know how long he argued with God. I, I imagine in my mind that there's some argument that's edited out. Because I know there would be if he was telling me to do something like that. But Moses reached down and he grabs that snake by the tail and it becomes a staff again. I mean, who can think of stuff like that? That wasn't Moses' idea, that was God's idea. And God is able to do immeasurably more than you can ask or even imagine. And I think that, that we, should, we should maybe, in a right sense, take that, as a, take that as a challenge to our faith. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about coming up with just really stupid ideas, saying, well, Lord, I'm going to go jump off the tallest building I can find, and I'm gonna, I can imagine you, you can make me fly. That's just, that's just dumb, okay? In fact, the Bible says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. But I, I think that we would, be, we would do well in our faith to say, okay, God, you can do more than I can ask or even imagine. Now, as I, as I walk with you and I get to know you and I, and I spend time with you, and, and it says in, in Psalms 37 that, that you'll give me the desires of my heart as I'm walking with you, as I delight in you. Now, Lord, begin to give me dreams and visions. I want to see things happen for you. I want to do things for you. I want to step out in ways that I never thought about stepping out before. God, I want to be a conduit, a blessing for you. Lord, give me ideas that, that might sound crazy, it might sound goofy, but, but Lord, as I walk with you and as, I, as I'm submitted to you, help me to, help me to recognize your voice and then help me to step out in these ways that, that might sound crazy. Let's not forget they're his, they're his ideas. And when we start to think that they're our ideas, it makes it a lot easier for us to give up on. I think that's the danger of not recognizing when it's his plan and idea and when it's our plan and idea. Because if it's just mine, not a big deal if I give up. Not a big deal if I quit. Not a big deal if I fail. But if I realize that this is God's plan... then it's a little bit more important, don't you think? Like, you know, go into all the world, preach the gospel. That wasn't the disciples' plan. It was God's plan. Take church outside the walls. It's a, it's a nice saying. That's not, that's not my plan, though. That's God's plan for us. Turn the world upside down. Not my plan, his plan. Walk by faith, not by sight, his plan. These things and even greater will you do. (laughs) Not my plan, his plan. 
Let's remember whose plan it is. Let's remember what James says. James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows or the shifting sands. Every good and perfect gift. So I, I believe not only every good and perfect gift, but I think that ideas are gifts from God. They come down from God. Every good and perfect idea is a gift from God. It's an opportunity for me to unwrap something. It's an opportunity for me to get my hands dirty and get busy doing something, joining the Lord in something. It's His. Number two, God loves to bless. He's just looking for people willing to be blessed. I know that sounds a little bit strange. Because if I was to ask, I mean, I could ask you, I could ask, I could ask the biggest crowd we could find. If I could have got a PA system when I was over at the Clark County Fair, I'll bet you I could have got up somewhere and, and asked if I could get all the crowd to stand around in one place and I were to ask, how many of you want to be blessed? I'll bet you just about every single hand would go up. And the only ones that wouldn't go up would be those people that are going, eh, what's his angle? What's, what's he trying to sell? But the bottom line is, you know, I mean, we say we want to be blessed. Anybody here want to be blessed? The rest of you that aren't raising your hand saying amen, you're lying. Liar, liar, pants on fire. How do I know? Because you go to work, because you save your money, because there's things that you like to buy, places you like to go. You like to be blessed and you like to be a blessing. It's fun to, to give good things to our kids, isn't it? I love, I love blessing my kids, and now even more so my grandkids. I used to love to bless my niece and nephew. At Christmas time, I'd bless them with the loudest, most annoying toys I could find. Because I like to bless them and annoy my brother. And if I can do both at the same time, that is a win-win. Of course, my brother and sister-in-law, they got kind of smart and they started leaving those gifts at my parents' place, which was okay until we moved in for a few months while we built our house. And my kids wanted to play with those stupid toys. But the truth of the matter is we say we want to be blessed. But when the rubber meets the road, we find out that there's a lot more talk than there is action. You see, God, God loves to bless. And again, it's his idea, but he's looking for people that want to be blessed. And it, and it has to go beyond, oh, yeah, bless me, bless me. Here I am. It has to, it's going to go to the people who are going to prove that they want to be blessed. Okay, let's go back to Israel wandering in the desert. Now, think about this. God was going to give Israel all that land. He had told Abraham, everywhere that you step your foot here in the promised land, he gave him the, the boundaries of it, you know, from, from the sea to the river and, and up here in the north down here to the sea. Everywhere you walk, buddy, that's going to be yours. Every place you set your foot is going to be yours. And so 400 years later, after 400 years of imprisonment, of, of enslavement in, in Egypt, God sends Moses back and says, okay, it's time to bless my people. We're going to bring them out. And he brings them out. And after just a few months... After just a few months, they're at 
the front door of the promised land. They are on the doorstep. Now, they'd had some experiences. You know, they, they walked out of Egypt while, while the firstborn of everybody else was dying. Theirs were alive and healthy because they had painted the blood of the lamb over their doorposts. They walked out and they, and they took all the gold and the wealth and the silver and the, and the good materials and stuff from Egypt. The people were saying, get out of here and here, be blessed as you go. I mean, they experienced all that. They got out to the, to the Red Sea and they were hemmed in on one side by the sea and then here comes the Egyptian army. But just when things seem like they can't get any worse, God sends a wind and opens up the Red Sea and they walk through on dry ground and watch the enemy get defeated. And, and then God starts giving them manna every day. And he sends quail. I mean, he, just, he sends water out of a rock. I mean, it's just miraculous thing after miraculous thing. They're being blessed. They're being taken care of. And within a few months, they're at the front door, ready to take over, ready to go in. And listen to what it says in Deuteronomy. Listen, Deuteronomy chapter 1, and I'm skipping through verses, but I'm starting in verse 20. This is Moses speaking to the people. I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it, as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Verse 26, but you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and you said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. And then I said to you, do not, be, do not be terrified. Don't be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. And in the wilderness there you saw how the Lord your God had carried you. Think about the times that the Lord has blessed you, how the Lord has carried you, how he's, how he's taken you along from one place to another when you didn't think you were going to be able to make it. Think about how God has, has made a way where there seemed to be no way. That's what Moses is doing. He's reminding the people, look, all along the way, God has taken care of you. He's blessed you. You haven't gotten hungry. You haven't gotten sick. Your feet aren't sore. Your clothes aren't wore out. You've been walking in the desert for a few months, and God is right here, and he's blessing you. All you got to do is go in and take it. Verse 32, in spite of this, you did not trust the Lord your God. Verse 34, when the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, no one from this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give your ancestors, except Caleb. Well, Caleb was one of the 12 spies. Moses sent 12 spies out. Caleb and, and Joshua were the only two that came back with a good report. Everybody else said, oh, they're huge, they're giants, they're monsters, they're scary, we can't do it. I was back up. God wanted to bless them. God wanted to give them the promised land. That's good land. It was described as a land flowing with milk and honey. He was going to give them cities that they hadn't built. He was going to give them vineyards they hadn't planted. He was going to give them, you know, olive trees that they hadn't nurtured. They cut off a cluster of grapes that was so big it took two guys to carry it between them. I mean, this is, this is good land. This is good blessing. And God said, hey, you're right at the front door. Now it's time to kick that door open and go in and get it. But they listened 
to the voice of discouragement. They listened to the voice of reason. Oh, you know the voice. Well, yeah, God, God wants to bless you. Yeah, God's spoken things to you, but, but let's sit down and think about this for a little bit. Let's sit down and, and be reasonable. You know, God's logical. Let's be reasonable and think about this. Now, you got, what, 600,000 men of fighting age? Yeah, that's not bad. But how much experience do you have? You know what I mean? You've been, you've been farmer slaves for the last 400 years. You haven't seen a war. I mean, look at these guys. There's millions of them, and they're all warriors. They've been fighters for a long time. I mean, and not only that, but they're big. These guys are big. In fact, they're so big that uh, we must have looked like grasshoppers to them. Start listening to the voice of reason. Sometimes you need to shut the voice of reason out so that you can hear the voice of God. God said, you're right here. Kick the door in. It's yours. Take it. I want to bless you. They said, no thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. Maybe we should go back. In fact, they started listening then to the voice of the enemy who says, you know what? God hates you. That's what it is. God hates you. That's why this bad stuff happens to you, because God hates you. That's why he brought you up here. Oh, yeah, he fed you with manna. Oh, that's great. That's great. But now he wants you to go fight those big guys. He hates you. He's using them to kill you. You're done. And we do that all the time. Why did I lose my job? God hates me. Why am I getting sick? Well, God must not be happy with me. Why am I struggling with this? Why is, why is there all this fighting in my family? God's not very happy with you. God hates you. And we start looking for verses. To, you know, Christian people are goofy sometimes. We start looking for biblical verses to back that kind of stupid reasoning up. God loves you, Period. And in spite of God's love for you, life happens. Jobs get lost. Health goes away. Fights and arguments happen. It's part of life. Any of you realize we're not getting off this planet alive? Unless, unless we are alive when the Lord comes again, and then we, we meet him in the sky. That's the only way we're getting off this planet alive. Other than that, I don't care how good your doctor is. I don't care how great your health is. One of these days, your expiration date is going to be here. And you're done. You can spend all your money, all your time in the hospital and all the machines. But when God says time is up... Time is up. And it's not because he doesn't love you. It's because he does love you. Because when you're here, you're not there. Does that make sense? It's just a simple fact of physics. When you're here, you're not there. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that is by far better than what I got going on here.
God wants to bless, but he's looking for people that are willing to be blessed, that want to be blessed, and that are going to translate that into action. How many of you know Israel would have been in the promised land 40 years sooner if they would have been willing to be blessed? Yeah, Lord, I want to be blessed. Now, now help me to step out and walk out what that means. It might mean I have to strap on a sword. It might mean I have to kick the door down. It might mean I have to go in to the promised land and face problems that are a lot bigger and a lot uglier than me. Okay, bigger. Maybe they're not uglier, but they're bigger. But with God before me, who can be against me? You know, and it's not just, it's not just all this stuff that we might claim as spiritual stuff. How about this one? You want a good, strong marriage? God wants that for you, even more than you do. But you're going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to fight for it. You want a good relationship with your kids? You want to train up your kids to know and serve the Lord? God does too. But you're going to have to fight for it. But don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We don't fight as the world fights. We don't fight with the weapons of this world. But the weapons that we have are, spirit, are supernatural. And they have supernatural strength for tearing down strongholds and demolishing every argument and pretension that sets itself up against God. Do you want to be blessed? You might have to fight for it. If you're willing to fight for it, believe me, God's willing to give it to you. And don't we have a tendency to appreciate what we work for more anyway? You know, when I, was, when I was in high school, I wanted a car. Oh, I wanted a car so bad. Typical red-blooded American boy, I wanted a car. I didn't want just any car, though. I wanted a Camaro. I wanted a 67 Camaro. Glory to God. Best pony car ever. I actually found, well, actually, actually my dad found 67 Camaro for me. It, was, it belonged to a gal that worked for him. She was the original owner. Got it when she graduated high school. Would sell it to me for twelve hundred bucks. Yeah, find a Camaro for twelve. Find a '67 Camaro for twelve hundred bucks, and it ran. But here was the rule. Now, now I think I, I think I had like seven hundred bucks saved up, something like that. My parents said they would help me. They'd help me get this car. But here was the rules. That car is your responsibility. It takes gas to move. You're buying that. It takes oil and maintenance to make it stay alive. You're paying for that. It's got to be roadworthy. It's got to be safe to our standards. You're paying for that. You got to have insurance. Well, back in the day, the state of Washington did not require you to have insurance. Oh, but Mr. and Mrs. Hollis did. Oh, you got to pay for that. This is starting to get expensive. 17 years old, got a 67 Camaro, and I'm looking at it. Yeah, wait a minute, I got to work the rest of my life. See, it boiled down to this I could play sports, or I could have a car. Football and injuries, 67 Camaro. 
baseball and striking out. 67 Camaro. Track and tripping. 67 Camaro. You see, with a car came freedom. With a car. Oh, it opened up so many opportunities. I didn't play sports in high school. I worked. I worked and I drove my 67 Camaro. <laughs> drove the wheels off that. I think I paid more in speeding tickets than I did for that car. Not bragging about that. It's just a sad, sad fact. But you know what? Pretty soon that car wasn't enough, so I ended up buying another car. I bought a, because the Camaro had a six-cylinder, I bought a 64 Impala, took the 327 out, rebuilt that, but that now was an even faster car. Now I got even bigger tickets. But I ended up having to work for it. And it didn't have great paint. It had original paint with some, with some primer on it. It didn't, you know, in fact, the tires, after driving it for like a month, the tires, the, the cords are shining through. I needed tires. It was the one and only time in my entire life that I ever borrowed money from my parents. I went to my parents. I said, look, I just bought this car, and I know the rules, but I can't drive on these tires. The cords are sticking through, and I don't have the money to buy tires. And my parents said, okay, we will loan you. We will loan you the money. How much is it going to cost? I looked around. It's going to cost me 200 bucks, and that's me mounting them up. It's going to cost me 200 bucks for tires back in 1985. We will loan you the money, but we're writing out a contract, and you are paying us X amount every month until they are paid off, and you don't buy anything else except your gas to get back and forth and your insurance that you have to have. You don't buy anything else until you pay us off. I want to go out. So fine. I signed the paper. I paid it off within like three weeks. I, was, I worked hard. I saved my money. I, never, I have never borrowed money from my parents since then. But you know what? I so appreciated what I had to work for. There was a group of us at high school. We had the, the kind of beater cars. You know, we had the cars with no paint, but they were cool. They were Mustangs and Camaros and Firebirds and, and old pickups and Volkswagen Bugs. And we worked for them, and they didn't look the best. But you know what? All of our cars survived throughout high school. We had other friends whose parents bought their cars for them, and they would wreck them. One girl, I remember, had a Corvette. Had a Corvette in high school. She totaled it. Her parents bought her some Mitsubishi thing. I'm like, <sighs> we have a tendency, all of that to say, we have a tendency to appreciate what we work for more. And you're going to appreciate the blessing that God brings into your life as you strap on your sword and go out to battle, as you kick down that front door. You're going to appreciate the blessing that only God can bring around when you step up and begin to work for it and say, okay, God, I got my part to do in it, and I'm going to trust you to do what I can't do. Then you'll get the blessing. Then you'll appreciate it. You're not going to attain the blessing without the struggle. You're not going to attain the, the strong marriage without the struggle. You're not going to attain the, the strong family raising up good kids without the struggle. It's a struggle, but it is worth it. But in all that, remember what it says in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. And I've said this already. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We 
not God. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself, sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it submissive to the will of Christ. That we indicates that that's my responsibility. I can't sit here and say, God, help me have good thoughts. I have to sit here and say, I'm taking captive those wrong thoughts. I'm going to make them good in Jesus' name. Finally, number three, we need to understand God wants to bless. We need to understand this. Change in leadership does not mean a change in God's plan. A change in leadership doesn't mean a change in God's plan. The promise for the Israelites to get the, get the promised land was passed from Abraham to Isaac, from Isaac to Jacob, and the promise was the same. Passed from Moses to Joshua, the thrill of leading the Israelites into the promise. Passed from Moses to Joshua, but the promise was the same. Leadership changed. Even when there's a failure on the part of leadership, as there was with Moses and as there is oftentimes today because all have sinned, even when there's failure on the part of leadership, the promise remains the same. I have no idea how many churches and how many ministries end up having splits and end up falling apart because of failure on the part of leadership. And if you want to add one thing to pray for, pray for your pastor and pray for the leaders of this church. Because for some reason, if you can, if you can knock off leadership, if you can get leadership to, to fail, it has this ripple effect that begins, to, that begins to weaken the infrastructure of a church and begins to, to cause people to lose sight of the plan and of the goal. Because sometimes, you know what, we get our eyes focused too much on that leader and not enough on God. Now, man will fail you, but God will never fail. And the plans that God has, again, they're, they're his plans. Even when leadership messes up, Moses messed up. I've always thought that was kind of a, honestly, for me, I always thought it was kind of a raw deal that, that the, the people of Israel seemed like they messed up every day. It was like almost a habit for them. They would, they would do something wrong almost every day. And Moses, after 40 years, he finally gets so fed up, he gets angry. He's supposed to speak to the rock, and he strikes the rock. And water comes out. God honors his promise to, to water the people. Water comes out and bless them. But he takes Moses aside, and he says, hey, uh, Moses and Aaron, we got to talk. Come here. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to let you know, Aaron, you're going to die. You're going to die real soon. And Moses, you're not going in the promised land either. And I'm thinking, Moses, you know, if I'm Moses, I'm, but God, for 40 years I've been doing that. You know, I just lost it one time. So you know what? There is a higher responsibility on leadership. I'm, I'm holding you to a higher standard. Anybody that wants to get into leadership, you need to understand that. I'm holding you to a higher standard. One time he messes up. You know what? Even though Moses messed up and he didn't get to go into the promised land, that did not change God's plan for the people of Israel. His plan was still to bring them in to the promised land. This church was planted with a purpose. And whatever turns that we have taken, that plan remains. 
Leaders have come and gone. I don't know how many pastors have been at this. So you got a 104-year history. you got a chance of having a few pastors. Pastors have come and gone, but we need to understand this. God's plan remains. People have come and gone, and programs have come and gone, but God's plan remains. He birthed in the heart of somebody 104, 105 years ago that he wanted a lighthouse in a dark place, and he provided the place. And they stepped out in faith, and they planted a church that has stood the test of time, but we have not arrived. We haven't taken hold of the promise. It's still yet to come, and it hasn't changed, and it's God's plan, and it's his promise. We just need to go after it. Amen? Now, perhaps you're struggling in your own life. Let me turn it from the church general to you in particular. Maybe you're struggling in your own life and and the things you thought God had spoken to you, dreams and visions, ideas, etc., they haven't panned out. Hang on. It's coming. Hang on. Maybe you think that you've blown it. Maybe you think that you've been too bad and you've surrendered the promise. You need to understand this, that God's plans are not merit-based. God's plan of blessing isn't based on how good you are, but on how good he is. You haven't messed up so bad that he doesn't want to bless you anymore. In fact, if I can turn your attention back to our very first passage in Jeremiah 29.11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to bless you and not to harm you, plans to prosper you and to give you a hope and a future. Do you know when those words were spoken? While they were in the middle of exile, they had lost the promised land because they had been disobedient to God. They had served and worshipped Baal and Ashtoreth and all these other pagan gods. They had done everything God told them not to do, and they got kicked out of the promised land. And they're out there licking their sores, looking at 70 years of captivity. And God sends a man named Jeremiah to come along and say to them, in that condition, in that lost and busted up condition, hey, I know. It's like saying, I remember. I haven't forgotten the plans that I have for you. And they're good. (laughs) They are good plans. Bless you, prosper you, give you hope, give you a future. You haven't fallen so far that he can't pick you back up. And then in Romans it says, God's gifts and his call are without revoke. So God's got a plan for you. Grab hold of it. God wants to bless you. He wants to bring you into blessing, but you got to be willing to be blessed. you got to remember, it's not your own idea. It's not something after pizza that you dreamed up. It's God's plan. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord, this morning we submit to you that you do have good plans. Lord, we, we recognize that. Lord, your plans and your purpose for us goes beyond our ability to even comprehend. 
Lord, sometimes we get so distracted. Sometimes we get so frustrated. We get so turned around that we lose track of what's going on. Lord, forgive us. If there's anybody here, I just want to pause for a moment. If there's anybody here that that, that last statement describes you, you've just kind of lost track. You've just kind of got frustrated. It's, things just haven't been happening as quick as you thought or in the way that you wanted it to happen. If that's, if that's you, just slip your hand up. I'm just going to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. It's his plan. It's his time. Lord, you see the hands of those that, that, Lord, they're on the verge of giving up. Maybe they have given up. I pray that you would refresh them and renew them even now. Lord, that even now you'd begin to stir up that passion, that, that joy, and even that initial excitement. God, that you would breathe once again that, that dream, that passion, that vision into their hearts. Lord, that when they walk out of here this morning, they can walk out with their heads held high, knowing, Lord, that you're calling them to restoration, knowing that you're calling them and leading them to blessing. Father, I pray that we would, each one of us, walk out of here saying, I'm willing to fight for the blessing. I'm ready to strap on my sword and do what I got to do. If it means kicking down doors, if it means humbling myself, if it means saying I'm sorry, or if it means taking a stand and losing a job, Lord, I'm ready and I'm willing. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you know God's put a call. He's, he, he wants to bless you, but you've just been real hesitant about being blessed. You've been real hesitant about doing what you need to do. That's you. You just slip your hand up. I want to pray for you. It's time to get busy doing what we need to do. So Lord, we pray now for those that fall into that category. I just need to I just need to get busy doing my part. We commit ourselves, Lord, together to do that. Father, I pray that, that as we walk this road together as one body, united in purpose, united under your plan, Father, that we would see the fruit of our labor. Lord, not for our glory, not for ourselves, but for you. Lord, that as we step out and we start doing, Lord, that we would start seeing. And Father, even when we don't see what we think we ought to see, Lord, that we would have the faith to believe that you're doing it, that it's on the way. Lord, I pray peace, I pray strength and perseverance for each one. In Jesus' precious name. And now, Lord, as we get ready to, to leave today, let us walk out refreshed with a renewed vision. We'll be quick to give you the glory. In Jesus' precious name. For more information, you can find us online at www.mountainviewchristiancenter.com dot net